New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today, we're talking cybersecurity. And we're very, very fortunate to have two great experts joining us. Uh, we've got uh, Sean Duca, who is with Palo Alto Networks, and also Carl Wright from Datacom. So uh, without further ado, let's jump in. Um, Sean, maybe you can give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself and uh, where you fit into cybersecurity within the Asia-Pacific region. Yeah, sure. So hi, everyone, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, so my role is the Regional Chief Security Officer for the Asia Pacific and Japan region. Uh, been in the business now coming up to six years this week. Uh, and I spend the bulk of my time really sort of working with our customers, prospects, industry groups and, and government alike, really just trying to shape the narrative around what cybersecurity means. And, and it's more than just, you know, having an executive point to a box or uh, a security team to say we've got this under control, but more get them to think about cyber as a risk like any other risk to their business great thank you for that and carl welcome uh thank you paul um i'm the uh, cio or chief information officer for datacom um i've been there for four years and uh in previous lives i uh i worked in the space industry in in europe and uh, here in new zealand i've uh, worked in various advertising industries and uh, telecommunications as well as applications management, and um, currently with Datacom, we're, we're very much the managed service provider in New Zealand. Fantastic. Well, Carl, maybe we'll, we'll start with you. Um, you know, Datacom is in, is in really a unique position as, as such a big um, provider of technology-related services across the region, and, and particularly in New Zealand and, and Australia. Um, you know, you would get exposure and, and see many things that uh, most of us wouldn't uh, wouldn't see. Um, but I'm sure you also get a lot of opportunities to, uh, you know, interact at varying varying levels of um, you know the organisations that uh, that are in your client base and 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 beyond. Um, what are the what are the key things when you you know chatting to uh, to people about cybersecurity that tend to come to mind? Look, um, it's it's a wide-ranging area, but but I think that um, there are probably two things that come to, to mind for me. The first is is that there is an overwhelming sense in, in a lay in a lay perspective that, in fact, it's a technical problem. Um, however, as as you get into some more sophisticated layering of of what the actual issue is, you'll find that that most of cybersecurity, like any other security, even physical security sits with the people themselves and the processes you have within the business as well as the standards that you that you adhere to um, and, and that's largely driven by how much risk are you prepared to take within your business and, and I guess the unanswered question around that and, 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 and we see this quite a lot is um, having decided that you are going to take a risk in your business do you really understand the consequences and the impact of that risk should it should it become become a reality in your business and, and cybersecurity is no different to that if you're going to be hacked or robbed it's a similar thing you know ransomware and being robbed is a, a, are, quite, are two quite similar things um, one is physical the other one is virtual but it's still you know the theft of, of, of some tangible asset to your business that, that is important to you Fantastic. That's uh, that's a great great viewpoint, Sean. What would you usually delve into when you're uh, when you're chatting to to people about cybersecurity to start with? 
Yeah, pretty much the same as Carl in terms of the fact that a cyber attack on a business is more than technology. Uh, if you think about the impact uh, of an attack or an incident uh, on a business, it poses obviously a, a serious um, you know, consequence to the actual business in terms of disruption. Uh, it could actually mean some sort of serious threat of financial loss potential exposure of critical business information, compromise of uh, compromise the reputation, the brand of, of and impact to the customers, the employees, and potentially even the entire supply chain. So it's really making sure that an organization understands that an, an attack can actually take down your whole organization and potentially put lives at risk. Uh, but we always tend to sort of gravitate to that whole notion of let's start to get IT to get involved to do something. And it's just, it's more than that. So it's making sure that they understand that cyber really is a business risk, not an IT problem. Great, thank you. Um, so, yeah, when 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 we look at uh, the cyber um, attacks that have that have taken place recently, most of us are seeing what's uh, what's publicly in the news, and you know what are those headlines? Of course, most of what happens actually. Uh, we probably never hear about, right? Um, but you know, in the, in the news, um, you know, just in the in the last uh, last couple of days, um, you know, we've heard about a cyber attack shutting down um, a U.S. fuel pipeline. Uh, you know, this one's you know big big global news in recent times. Uh, we've heard of the supply chain attack, um, which uh, which came through the SolarWinds uh, software. Uh, Microsoft, whose email servers have been, you know, very popular over, you know, over a number of decades, um, they've they've had um, some pretty uh, critical vulnerabilities in in that system in the Microsoft Exchange uh, platform. Uh, we've had uh, the NZX uh, and and others getting hit with denial of uh, denial of service attacks that have been uh, in the media. Um, banks under constant uh, constant attack in one one way. Or another, um, and I came came across uh, one one of those uh, directly. I got a call from somebody um, in uh, in recent weeks who explained to me about having uh, having a bank account emptied. Uh, we've had Nine News get uh, get get hit in a fairly uh, you know fairly major uh, way in terms of the impact on uh, on their business. Uh, so the the list really uh, goes on and on. So I'm keen to maybe um, you know delve a little bit into uh, into some of these um, types of uh, incidents and um, you know how we um, how we should be thinking about them. Um, but going going back to uh, to the the initial points that uh, that you both raised in, in terms of of risk, I think uh, it can be quite challenging for organisations to to really actually pitch themselves on that scale of what level of risk that they're they're willing to take. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious to to hear how do you how do you help an organisation. Um, you know, from that perspective, in terms of, um, as you know, establishing the the level that's appropriate, because you know, I th I think we you know we all know that um, 
uh, cyber attacks are you know very much uh, a matter of you know if not when you get uh, um, uh, sorry of uh, when you're going to get hit not if you're going to get hit let's put that round the round the right way um, and you know organisations really are under under constant attack from you know one vector um, or another um, but of course no one's got unlimited uh, funds uh, and time to be able to put into completely minimising those risks and in fact you can never completely eliminate the risk at all. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of kind of curious, um, Sean. Have you got any any comments on you know the the approach that uh, you see organisations you know taking to be able to decide at you know at, at what level they will um, they will accept risk uh, from a cyber perspective? Um, I guess it's particularly hard because it's always changing. Yeah, look, it's always changing, but I think every single organisation needs to go through a process to understand what their risk appetite is. And if you think about, you know, and this is where tabletop exercises uh, become really handy. You know, one, what would you do? Um, secondly, how would we deal with it? Yeah, are questions that every single executive leadership team and board of directors should really be asking each other. Uh, because when the day comes that something is actually going to sort of take place and impact an organization, last thing we do is go finger pointing. So you want to work out one roles and responsibilities of who does what. Secondly, um, you know, there's no point spending a million dollars to fix a problem that potentially could cause, you know, let's say a hundred dollars worth of material impact to an organization. You just go, well, I'll accept that. And I just think about risk management is really broken up into four key areas. One, we can accept risk. And that's going to be how you start to define your, your, uh, your, I guess, your risk appetite and tolerance level. We can avoid risk, and avoidance would be let's take a paper backup copy of every single bit of information that we've got. Cost prohibitive, but it's a way to actually avoid, you know, a data loss issue. As an example, you know, mitigation is really around implement controls, processes, and make sure that we've got the right people in place. And the other one could be transfer. So take the example of an e-commerce online merchant and they use a payment gateway to actually do the, the payment processing. They're effectively transferring that financial part or the element of that bit of risk to maybe a third-party gateway provider or a bank. So you gotta start to think about what are the ways that our business operate? What could potentially be considered our crown jewels? What would be seen as material impacts? You know, if I lose my phone, and I always use this analogy, if I lose my phone, probably doesn't really have a material impact to Palatine Networks. But if our source code repository was to be compromised and someone got access to our source code, that has a material impact to not only our business, but also to the integrity of our products and maintaining the privacy of, of our customers. So you can start to work out what, what, at what point are you willing to sort of go above and beyond to do something as opposed to sort of accepting it. Yeah, thank you. Carl, did you have anything you wanted to uh, to add to that from your viewpoint? Uh, yes, I, I think that um, to, to add to that, there are probably three other things that I'd add to it. There are established um, risk assessment frameworks out there that would guide companies into understanding how to go about some of this stuff. There are standard um, cybersecurity response frameworks that that will that will um, um, help people to understand what it is that they need and and increasingly governments are taking a more of an active role in in educating both businesses and and uh, the general populace on on some of these things but but I think from a business perspective I, I would I would add to 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 what Sean was saying these two things the first thing is is that you cannot outsource your risk as a company. And 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 we see this in 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 the outsourcing business in the managed service business. We see 
at least implicitly this happening a fair amount where, where people believe that they are somehow covered by some kind of magical insurance or some kind of magical umbrella that they're sitting under by virtue of the fact of being associated with with the product or a service that they're purchasing. The the accountability for the risk always sits with, with the company. Um, and, and the last piece that I would say is is that luck favours the prepared mind and and and, and it's it's an old adage but but to, to Sean's point, there is stuff where desktop exercises and practice and how would you how would you react? Because when something happens, this is 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 a game and it's a very serious game of triage and and it's what do you do next what is the next best decision that you can make given uh, you're faced with with a, a, a pile of information much of which is conflicting um and 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 initially maybe not very much of it is even true so so you have to have some practice both right from the very top of the board level all the way down to your operational security operations center whether that's your own one or whether it's an outsourced one you really do need to have that practice uh, process of how you're going to deal with the issues as they arise. I love it. Yeah, very very practical there. Um, I've been having a discussion, you know, recently with with a few people in terms of um, how seriously cybersecurity has been taken at a governance level. And uh, I was talking to a professional director recently who's uh, who's on the on the board of a, a particularly um, uh, local airline that we, uh, we we have here in New Zealand. And yeah, their times must be interesting at the moment because they're not able to uh, to to fly too far. Um, but um, you know, this particular person also you know across a, a range of other boards as well. And the perspectives seem to be that um, some organisations they they just really get the the importance of being across uh, cyber security and that that really sits in in their lap as important. Um, other boards, it's maybe gets pushed off to a risk uh, committee, but maybe doesn't generally get discussed uh, around the board table. And then there are other boards where, well, cybersecurity is something that's come up in the last 20 years and, you know, they're following processes that were developed uh, before that. So, you know, they might have a finance subcommittee, they might, might talk about health and safety, um, but cybersecurity you know, maybe isn't really on their radar to a, to a great degree. Um, any particular um, learnings from that perspective, um, Carl? Things that that you've noticed in terms of how we're how we're doing and and what we can do um, to uh, you know maybe lift the lift the standards at, at that level. So. Um, I, I think the situation is, as you describe it, there are there across the industry there are varying levels of of both awareness, education, preparedness. Uh, you know, those are the, probably the three things that 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 are, that are floating around. I, I would say though that um, uh, industry has a role to play in in creating greater levels of awareness of cyber awareness, um, particularly in the humanistic and the socio-political aspects of it. Uh, but but governments also have a role to play. So so we're seeing increasingly, um, as as an economy moves towards being more digitally focused or uh, the supply chain more digitally focused, our interactions, and, and I think you've seen a rapid acceleration of that as a response to to, to COVID. Um, as that stuff starts to become more and more all pervasive in our everyday life, government is taking on a a regulatory role. 
Um, and and like most things in in the early days, although one would argue that the digitization is not really in its early days, but certainly the controls around cybersecurity are, um, you would argue that sometimes they get it right and other times they, they, they don't. And, and, and so there's an evolution going on in the industry, which is creating quite a lot of change, which then getting back to boards means that boards need to be really proactive about the changes that are coming their way, you know, uh, prior to things like solar winds, people weren't really thinking about your electronic supply chain as being a vector for, for where you might get attacked. Um, recently, there's been some some uh, legislation passed in Australia and some prudential standards that are actually asking uh, financial companies to to provide um, uh, evidence that in fact their supply chains are adequately secured um, at an electronic level around around third party and man in the middle attacks and all of these sorts of things so that they can have um, a sense of security about the banking system and the financial system. Uh, that's that's prevalent in Australia, it's, it's now coming here to New Zealand. Um, and, and so those things are changing literally on a daily basis and we have to be able to react to them. Yeah, and we I guess we, we have that challenge that most of us have been looking pretty closely at, at what governments have been doing during uh, during COVID because there's been this need for government to be able to move much faster than what we're what we're used to. Um, and and to me that also um, you know talks to technological and, and cyber related matters that uh, the the old way of, of traditional government may be moving at a very uh, slow pace doesn't necessarily uh, keep up with where we where we need to be um, in the current world. Sean, any any viewpoints from uh, your end on this? Yeah, look, I think it's it's incumbent on, on every board of directors to really understand their fiduciary responsibilities uh, as it pertains to cyber. And so for me, cyber literacy is a very key and important thing. And the reason for that is when you start to think about uh, the, the board papers, cyber board papers that are effectively sort of being passed up, it's good to have context, you know, because we always say context is king. But then it's also going to enable... Uh, for better judgment and better, let's say, an informed decision to be made around uh, potential cyber investments, knowing when to put your money in and also know when to actually take it out of a project. You know, we always think about it's just put money into this sort of never-ending, you know, pot of let's just keep on sort of putting things. Sure, there are constant cyber problems and cyber challenges that are going to be, you know, popping up all the time, but we need to be thinking about how do we solve this? And rather than going into a room and just go, I have no idea what these people are talking about and just going, oh, okay, that sounds, you know, consensus is let's go forward, let's do that. You know, that's the wrong approach. We need to think about what's right for the business and also understand what someone's talking about when they walk into the room. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you, Sean. So we would like to go from from here is maybe to delve into some of these uh, things that we, we have, you know, seen happening out there um, and impacting a, a you know, range of businesses. And we, we talked about some of those situations that have, that have been in the public domain and, and, uh, and in the media um, in re- recent times. Um, so, yeah, I guess maybe to start with, we, we delve into that um, supply chain risk. And, you know, Carl, you mentioned this is, this is something that's really um, hasn't had a whole lot of attention, but due to what happened with, uh, with SolarWinds, it's, it's suddenly um, on, the, on the radar. What can you share around how we should be thinking about supply chain risk? 
So, so supply chain risk is is obviated um, in in many respects by uh, what is what is good practice, and 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 unfortunately, sometimes good practice becomes incredibly boring because it's a commodity. Yep. Uh, oh, actually, just, maybe we can just go back a step. Can you just explain for listeners what supply chain risk is actually, oh, okay. and then we'll we'll delve into it because I know you know varying people will be at, at different levels in terms of their knowledge. Sure. Um, the supply chain risk uh, is really a risk that, um, in this context of cybersecurity, is that uh, there will be some sort of interruption to uh, a company's electronic supply chain, either an interruption of information uh, or, or, in the case of SolarWinds, a corruption of some piece of information. So, so that the idea behind the SolarWinds attack was that somebody injected some stuff into a patch upgrade for, for a particular product. And then that that uh, that code injection allowed nefarious people to do things that they ought not to be doing. Right. So, so a lot of people ended up with malware on their on so, their computers yeah, so that had had come in via that. Um, that that's exactly that chain. it. And and, and 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 so the supply chain here is referring to every company who who does the good thing and goes and patches their systems and does all the things that they should do, suddenly find they've got a. a, a a defective patch, shall we, shall we call it that? And and of course, this defective patch is is, is part of the normal supply chain of stuff that's coming from uh, an inverted commas a trusted source, but in fact, you find that the trusted source has been compromised somehow, and and so that then then creates the supply chain issue that you have, where you're now receiving information that's that's not what you think it is. So you install this on your systems, and lo and behold, you've got you've got a backdoor that's been put into your systems where where somebody can gain unauthorized access, execute code on your systems that you don't intend them to execute, and therefore create havoc for for your company to varying degrees depending on on, on what you've got. Um, so th- this is this is really not any different than than you know in some respects. Um, Parallel importing, or you know, in, in the physical realm, or or somebody hijacking a van full of cell phones, or you know, all of these sorts of things that 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 interfere with your ability to service your end customers and create value out of that service that you're providing them. So, so that's what we mean by supply chain risk. And 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 in the case of SolarWinds, that's exactly what happened. And they're not the only ones. And 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 to some degree. Um, like many industries, there's 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 a bunch of stuff that comes in cycles, and and and, and without provoking people, sort of supply chain attacking is kind of the flavour of the month at the moment. There's quite a few of them around, and 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 we'll probably see quite a few more as as time goes by. And of course, that that part of the industry, the supply chain part of the industry. Uh, will have got a, a, a much-needed wake-up call, and they'll be doing some stuff within there. You know, there isn't there isn't a single company I don't think in the world that 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 a major company that's not looking at how they present patches to to their various supply chains and making sure that all of those things are secure. As a result of of one or two people um, um, having a problem, one of the things that I would say, and I was going to say this earlier, is that. Uh, there are various estimates around, but but something like 10% of what actually happens in the cyber world comes to the public's attention. So, so you know, one of the things we should we should take uh, note of is is that the problem is actually quite quite large uh, on a global basis, and therefore, um, you know, we should take it seriously. And, and and I think that you know, companies like Palo Alto and 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 that and those sorts of vendor type people do take that kind of stuff seriously. But again, if you have a look at some of the other stuff that's happened, 
to some extent, it's a numbers game. And, and inevitably, and we get back to where we, where we started, inevitably something is going to go wrong. And, and the, real, the real finesse around, around managing cybersecurity is how good are your processes, how good are your policies, how good is your decision making, and, and therefore how well do you react when something does go wrong. Yeah, and interesting that you um, that you you know talk about the scale of it because actually I don't think very often we we you know delve in and try and you know measure that and I think it's probably impossible to actually measure it but we do hear some some pretty big numbers um, you know that are that are kicked around or well, the the you know the yeah as you'd say the you know maybe ten percent of of um, situations we we might hear about and so yeah looking at that through a, a financial lens I've seen varying predictions um, you know in the past and we do get different numbers you know that are coming from various uh, research. But those numbers now seem to be in the trillions of of dollars by some some reports, and so you know I saw one that was you know talking in the in the direction um, was it maybe nine trillion US a year in terms of impact from um, from cybercrime. Have, have are there any numbers that sort of um, um, stick in in your head, Carl? Uh, they are, and I'm actually going to bring it down to a much smaller scale. There's there's a survey that was done recently um, uh, across the Australasian piece, and um, this was a consumer survey. Um, Eighty percent of of people in the survey um, didn't know what uh, personal data various suppliers had about them, so didn't understand or didn't 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 really ever think about the fact that. Um, you know, the electricity company knows their date of birth and, you know, and, and, and so on and so on. It goes, this is mostly around personal information, and um, which is quite a surprising large number of, 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 of people when you think about it. Um, the interesting thing was that, though, that um, in the same survey, 50% of people thought that um, people who had their information weren't looking after it properly, which is... <laughs> It's it's a bit interesting, and then and then and then a very very small subset, like fourteen or fifteen odd percent, had actually made inquiries with the companies who had their numbers to say, so what do you actually do with this information? And and I think what it what it points to is um, uh, not 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 because people are careless, but but it does point to a level of complacency that we have around around some of this stuff and and if you think about it if you're behaving like this in your private life it's very likely you're behaving like this in your in, in your work life as well so there's 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 a clue to how we might fix this problem uh, over time in, in all of that but uh, i think in the end we get to a situation where, where those sorts of behaviors that come into your business do mean that that um so, you know, no one wants to talk about the fact that they failed, their security failed, right? So, so I think that the range of and of all numbers, fail, right? Every, yeah, yeah, yeah. every business's security is going to fail of, of at course, some point. Of so course. It's, uh... But so, so, so I, I look at the numbers, and, and and on the on the on the high end of the spectrum, it's it's pretty hideous, and then on the low end of the spectrum, it's just not credible. So I'm I'm picking that probably somewhere in between those two is really what 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 we're what we're actually losing in terms of. of yeah, of revenue or, or, or service uh, impact, but but I think you know around some of those things, trying to trying to quantify it, you have to be careful because many people looking for a big number 
try and quantify, you know, how much has your brand suffered because of a cyber attack or, you know, and, and that's into a whole bunch of goodwill territory and off the balance sheet. And there's a, there's a bunch of other things that come into that. So I think, yes, there are some big numbers out there and I think they can be quite alarming, whether they're the real numbers in terms of, of actual dollars lost or missing out of somebody's pocket, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Sean, what are your views on that? Yeah, look, I think I, I take the approach of, you know, the, the numbers, where where are we sort of getting the numbers number one? So I'm always going to go, you know, digging into the research and, and the data that's there. But if I take the example of uh, a statistic that I always look at, because I think it's something that is actually reported. Um, so it's the FBI uh, Internet Complaint Statistics. So yeah. they came out with their 2020 um State of the Internet report, I believe they call it. And in 2020, they were saying that $4.2 billion worth of losses were reported. So I think about it at the end of the day that that's not some sort of fictitious number where we believe that the problem is actually this big. This is actually down to people have reported that I've received a business email, compromised type of email, I've been compromised, and I was fleeced, you know, the sum of X amount of dollars. So the tally is basically sort of running every single year. And if you think about this is actually going up every single year, I think it was 2019 seems 3.5 billion. Now, based on what uh, you were saying earlier around, you know, 10% of the, the things that we actually see is what's actually being reported. Um, you know, in the case here is how many people actually report a crime took place? 50%? You know, let's just say happy average 50%. That means that the problem is actually $8.4 billion. So that's I start to look at it from that way to say, how big do we think the problem actually is based on who reports it? Where has it actually been reported? But then, you know, it's great to see those numbers and sometimes they can actually put the fear of God in some people, which is not really the right way for people to think about cyber risk. But it's more around what are you actually doing to sort of protect your own organization right now? Because this is the reality. You know, if I think about it, we don't talk enough about cybercrime, yet in the media we're seeing cyber espionage, nation states are the ones that are sort of causing all the havoc. That probably accounts for about 5% of all the threats that we see. Uh, the bigger problem actually is cybercrime. You know, people are seeing ransomware is taking up obviously all of the, uh, the airwaves right now. Business email compromise is probably the bigger threat. And we're seeing more people that simply just receiving these fake invoices or an invoice that says, hey, we've changed our banking details. You know, it could be poor processes. We saw people being compromised even more during uh, when the pandemic started 14 plus months ago because we're all working from home. You know, we didn't have that person next to us to say, does this look suspicious or not? Uh, and I think this is where people were really challenged. And we have to start thinking about you know, the problem on a broader scale, and it's a Carl's point that he mentioned earlier, it's around, you know, the people, the process and the technology, how do they all come together? Because that's effectively how you're going to try and solve it in your own business. Yeah, and and I think um, particularly when we, and this, I guess, you know, more of my experiences tend to be with the smaller to medium organisations, but what I see is, is there's just, there's a huge variance. And, you know, I guess the, the larger the organisations you get to, um, you hope these things get taken a bit more a bit more seriously. I'm sh- I'm sure it's uh, it's ver- variable there um, as well. But in terms of getting those uh, those those processes right, um, you know we we certainly um, you know quite constantly see issues that. You know, I think it, it is quite clear that are, that are back to uh, back to process. Um, Carl, maybe you could you could sort of you know comment in terms of the getting the processes right perspective. Um, yeah. yeah. So so uh, 
before I do, uh, I just want to talk about um, size because size does matter. Um, and I think the challenge you've got here is is that um, if you take your your sort of typical small business, they operate off probably off a home internet connection or something like that. Um, they they have whatever came with their service provider in terms of spam filtering and 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 and, and those sorts of things. Yet you take uh, some of the larger organisations, and what we did was we went from um, some highly secured. A centralized environment to sending everybody home to to their to the mercy of their own internet connection. Yeah, so, and and so. the mercy of their family too, right? Because right. you know somebody walks away from <laughs> from a keyboard. We came across one the other day, yep. and I kid you not, somebody lost data because of a cat running across a keyboard. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is the real the real deal. So, and, and then you add in sort of family members and kids that want to play a game on your work device and you know, everything else. So, so in our case, what we've done is to, to, to manage this because, you know, the, the reality of it is is that, that you know, people have gone home and, and the vast majority of people will, to a large extent, stay home one way or another. Yeah. Well, certainly if it's not at home, the, 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 the management fear of remote working has by force of nature been dissipated and people are learning to, how to do it. And, and, and what we've done is we've created a uh, policy within, within our own company around hybrid working. And to, to some extent, you almost have to have a, a warrant of fitness to, be, to become a recognized hybrid worker. And, and, and with that uh, privilege, if you like, comes a set of accountabilities. And, and some of those accountabilities are you need to do some cyber training that alerts you to some of these things. You, you, you need to, you know, um, make sure you follow the password policy rules and that you do actually use a password password manager for, for the stuff that you've got and that you you are aware of your physical security environments that are, that are not the same as they are in the office and and all of these sorts of things and and so so there are a, you know coping with covid there are a bunch of new processes new new ways of working i guess if 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 you like that that we're having to deal with and and you know we're we're 12 months past uh, the first lockdown here in new zealand and and I would say that you know we we've made a really good start, and there's there's still some work to do. You know we we've got still some training to do for people, and and I think it's 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 even harder for for smaller companies who don't have those resources, and so where do they get those resources from? And this is what I I think there is a there is a real role to play for government and security agencies. Um, you know, in uh, in CSC and, and and those sorts of people who can who can actually help. Um, educate both businesses and 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 the public and and i think where we've got to with with processes if you think of, if you sort of wind the clock back a little bit the process landscape looked very much like a command and control you know thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do this and and over the years it's kind of moved into attempt to be much more compliant orientated please would you do these things because they're because they're, they're, they're the right things to do. Um, and, and I think that slowly the industry is actually starting to move. It's almost like a, a Maslow's hierarchy of needs where, where having gone to remote working, we're now having to, to deal with the fact that actually our individual employees need to be self-actualized in some respects and understand that, that they actually have an accountability and a responsibility for everything they do that, that is security related. And, and and so I think that's probably our biggest challenge across the industry at the moment is to 
is to get people at, a, at an individual level to understand the necessity for, for doing this stuff. And, and then it gets the balance between security versus convenience. And, and these are all risks that you need to trade off, right? So, so yeah. there's no one, one size fits all. It's different for everybody. Yeah, that's that's good, and um, yeah, I quite like that that um, you know concept of the the warrant of fitness, you know, and and it, and it being a privilege to be able to um, you know operate in some some of these, including uh, having to reset your WAF every. Day. <laughs> well, it's a constant thing, isn't it? It's kind of well, well, kind of well, like you you, you could you could monitor it daily, weekly, monthly, whatever. You know, because um, Sean will tell you, security is not a one and done thing, right? It, never. It, it, yep. it is it is a constantly moving target in terms of, of where, where your end state is going to be at. Yeah. Correct. And it just keeps on changing every day. That's the thing. So and it changes from a couple of different angles. You know, I think people tend to gravitate towards, you know, what are, what's the new cybersecurity threats that have changed and, you know, what's the number of pieces of malware or something like that that, uh, that people are focusing on. Businesses change. You know, think of what we did back to pretty much March 16th was the day that, you know, most organizations, I think, pretty much got sent home and that we started the whole process around you know, kind of ISO and making sure that the hospitals were sort of ready back then. You know, from that point on, the world changed. You know, the, the pandemic forces to say automatically let's scale up a remote workforce overnight. Um, you know, you've got businesses that went through digital transformation journeys and when the pandemic started, you know, in order for them to move from, let's say, survive to thrive effectively, it really was, okay, let's go through a radical transformation right now and just, you know, en masse, people started to move out to public cloud infrastructure, started to leverage cloud service providers and service provider networks out there to really scale up their business because it really was a case of survival. You know, these are all the things that change all around us. There, There's macro changes. There's a whole bunch of different things that sort of dynamically change out there. And, you know, with that, flip around the other side and think about the cyber attackers. The moment we went home, literally within a day, the whole internet lit up where cyber attackers were scanning to find out what routers we were actually using at home, poking and prodding to see what... Uh, you know, what versions, what um, vulnerabilities actually exist in these systems. They were trying to work out how to get inside our homes. And that's where I agree with Carl. We have to think about, you know, ensuring that we can maintain that cybersecurity awareness and sort of that good sort of skill set around, you know, what should you do in the event that something goes wrong? But all of that, it's not one of those, if you do that, that it's going to solve your problem. It's that constant, you know, watering the hygiene, the fundamentals that are there to say, I need to do that. But then also I need to protect my users from from themselves, you know, from causing some sort of issue because how am I going to protect them if they're actually sitting at home? Well, I can't do anything about their home router, but I could probably do something about the system they're actually connecting from or connecting to. Uh, again, you know, what is it that an attacker is going to go for? Probably the data. Uh, so let's think about where we should actually provide the protection. You know, think about the crown jewels to our business rather than I'm going to buy this shiny solution or consume this particular shiny solution service from a provider and not really thinking about is that solving a core business imperative that we're thinking about or how does it protect the crown jewels? Uh, we should always be thinking about that one. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you did right. And um, the, the way in which we... We address and and reduce these risks. I think seems to be constantly, um, you know, being being adjusted. We're, we're learning new things. Uh, the you know the technology that we utilise in terms of an ability to uh, yeah, lock down data. I, you know, I think there's a much more uh, a sort of much broader awareness of of you know how we limit what access people have, so that if let's say somebody you know 
compromises uh, in a one-person system that they they don't have sort of the uh, the, the complete access that that might have been more common, uh, or the you know the broadness of access in in years gone by. We tend to take those things a, a lot more seriously, but um, you know a, a lot probably wouldn't have been a, you know aware of the the importance of uh, um, you know limiting that access and. Um, and also, yeah, monitoring what happens. Um, now, we did a few uh, a few bits and pieces on our list here that we were uh, we were sort of um, you know I guess potentially going to del- delve into. And when I sort of when I when I look at this list, there's um, you know the processes part of it, the technologies that uh, um, that we apply to uh, minimise risks is also um, you know is also part of that mix. But we had down here. Uh, Zero day vulnerabilities, which you know, I guess speaks to uh, the challenges that uh, Microsoft have had, um, and organisations that run uh, run Exchange Server um, recently. Um, Sean, is this uh, is this something you can uh, speak to in terms of um, you know how how organisations need to be prepared for the for these zero day vulnerabilities? Which uh, and maybe you can start with a little bit of a an explainer on uh, on on zero day. The zero day really means that uh, an attacker has actually found out a weakness or a vulnerability in a piece of software, usually before the vendor actually has. Uh, because if a vendor finds out, they can then start to work on releasing a patch, which is effectively some sort of mitigating way to, to stop someone else from exploiting that particular vulnerability. In the case of the exchange vulnerabilities, so there was a group called the Hafnium Group that started to target en masse anyone that was using an on-premise installation of Microsoft Exchange Server. And you gotta think whilst Office 365 is, you know, you can kind of say it's ubiquitous in terms of its spread and sprawl out there. Many people are still using it. There's loads of people that are still using on-premise Exchange servers. Uh, And whilst Microsoft may recommend that patches need to be installed within 24 hours of the patch release, you know, some people still haven't downloaded the patch within 24 hours. Um, So it's more a case of how do we start to secure that? And I think for me, it really is a case of, you know, zero days are inevitable. And I think this year alone by, I think by the time that we hit the 1st of April, we'd already seen close to 20 zero days uh, that had actually been reported. Last year alone, there were 24 in the course of 12 months. So this has been a pretty busy year for us. Uh, a pretty busy year for pretty much any uh, security uh, professional. So I think what right now we need to think about is sometimes there's never going to be a patch. Sometimes a patch may be you know, a long way off. So we need to think about how do we actually ultimately still protect the systems that are actually there. And again, that goes back to taking stock of what actually means something of relevance to us. You know, what's what would cause material impact? My exchange server goes down. You know, what's the point of time we should say, oh, email goes down. That's okay. It doesn't really sort of cause any issues. Now, it's pretty much our livelihoods. We can't get access to email. Business kind of stops. So don't think about it. That's actually a core asset. You know, if SAP was to go down inside an organization, that's kind of like the cash register of an organization. That's a core asset. Uh, so again, start to work out what your critical assets are, taking inventory of what they are, maintaining the, the, the fundamentals that are there, so the hygiene. When patches are out, what's the process that we go through to ensure that? If there is no patch, what's the mitigating control that we would actually use to potentially stop that? You know, I do I have some security technology that could potentially sort of mitigate any threat that could be targeting that system? You know, if there's processes we need to think about, do we have the right people sitting in the right seats to actually man it and really control this? If not, do we look at someone like a datacom to help us out there? So again, we, we need to think about all these processes of what could go wrong because the reality is things go wrong. 
they go wrong all the time. Uh, but we constantly need to be thinking about that pressure cooker situation that we're always going to be in. What would we do in the, in the event that something actually happens? And really plan that out. Because I always think about it, you know, no one ever picks their team the day of the game. Um, you know, today's the day that we should be picking our team because when something goes wrong, we're going to be running around like headless chooks. Uh, but it's pretty key to actually understand that I've got a trusted partner that's going to be there to help me. Uh, I know who my incident responders actually are if something goes wrong. I can start to plan. I can start to really workshop, do we have the right people in place? You know, if I think about from a communication standpoint, you know, many times I've seen organizations, we can really start to pick who's really thought about and, and really plans for this day. And you can really start to tell from the narrative of when someone actually comes forward to say, you know, we've actually been breached and we believe it's a nation state. You know, if the breach took place the other day, you have absolutely no idea one who it actually was, unless the nation state actor, which rarely ever happens, if like ever, uh, will actually say, hey, it was us. Uh, so it's fine to actually know, to not know everything, but stick to your core narrative. You know, as soon as you start deviating and saying that, oh, we think it was, you know, that particular country or that particular country, you know, that's always going to cause an issue. You know, the truth actually is the best cover story. And I think every single time, and this is something that, um, you know, I, I once heard this, that quote from, uh, from a, a person that actually works in the industry. And she always told me that that was a key thing. And you could actually tell when someone really started to, to, uh, to mention that. You could see when they do their press conferences. You know, find out who the right person is to do the communication. You know, sometimes the CEO is actually being put forward, but a CEO has no context to understand you know, what cybersecurity actually means, what the threat could mean. You, know, you are the spokesperson for the company. That person should be able to understand kind of the business and the technical risk and really play that translation. Yeah, the um, the communications piece is uh is really important, and you know, I think, uh, you know, particularly those of us that that have any any involvement uh, in cybersecurity from a professional perspective, when these things happen, we're looking pretty closely to see uh, to see those signs and um, and indicators. Um, uh, Carl, is this an area that um, that Datacom you know gets in, gets involved in in terms of uh, you know help helping your clients? Um, uh, obviously, you, you know you help them on the preparedness front. Does the communication side become part of that uh, that picture that you uh, that you plan for? So, so very much so it does, um, and and we we are involved uh, again as partners in a supply chain, but also as providers, we get involved in um, what are called red team exercises that are, that are that are run in a, a, by various companies, and a red team exercise is is literally just a practice run of of, of something that may happen, and communications is. Um, in many cases, one of the key the key things, you know, we, we get involved in writing dummy press releases and, 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 and helping people and we have comms teams that can do that. And, and of course, customers have their own comms teams as well. Um, and, and, and I think that in the communication aspect of it, it's, it's, it's really an interesting thing playing out because there's, there's a demand on the one side for absolutely every salacious detail you can find through to somewhere in between is what's actually happening through to, you know, on the customer side of it, you probably actually don't know what's happening. And and I think that it's okay to not know in, in some cases, but you just have to put that put that to the media and, and to, to your external communications uh, for your customers, probably more than anybody else, as to what you do know and, and, and what you know of the impact. And, and, and I think that most people 
understand that these things evolve. Uh, it's it's very rare that you you come out with a, a media statement that's saying this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, and this is what we're doing about it, and it's all fixed, and you don't need to worry about it anymore. <laughs> this this thing gets dragged out over several cycles as we find out what's happened and the extent of where it is, and you know how much is actually actually being compromised or not being compromised, and and. You know, and that's that's almost as valuable information as, 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 you know, what's not compromised is almost as valuable as knowing what is compromised in, in some respects. And, and then it's how do you, you know, how do you get it out to your consumers, your customers, your public in a way that's actually consumable? So you know, when we have a cyber instance with, within the datacom environment, um, we, there's a direct correlation to an incident happening somewhere and the number of calls we get to service desk. And, and in many cases, it's it's the company's own internal staff asking us what is going on, and 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 so there's clearly you know some challenges even around internally within your own company. There are always challenges around around information, and 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 and, and uh, look, they're real challenges. There is some stuff you don't actually want people to know, you know, and and and, and because they they're confidential or they 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 may create you know you may inadvertently give away information to to the, to, the, to, the to the attacker that you don't want to do so so there's there's many facets to this particular thing that you're trying to do and 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 again I, I, it doesn't really help but every situation is different and 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 I get back to I think we were talking earlier about um, training uh, I think the cyber security industry training um, has to change the way we train people I think that. Um, we rely too much on prescriptive training. Yep. Uh, when this happens, do this, and when this happens, do that. And I think we're going to need to have a, a serious think as an industry about how we do what I would call principles-based training, where, where in, in the face of uncertainty, one of the one of the the easiest things to do is to go back to a set of principles. So, so some of those principles to get back into the cybersecurity aspect is is the is the principle of zero trust where where you you trust nobody you verify everybody even if they work for you um as far as you're concerned as soon as they've gone home their machines become dirty it's compromised and and every time it comes into your environment you you carefully inspect it and decide whether you want to let it in or not so so that's kind of zero trust in 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 a couple of sentences um there's there's also other things about you know deciding um minimum minimum uh, rights to do a task you know and 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 it used to be quite a hot topic a number of years ago and it's sort of crept back a little bit and and now and now we're seeing you know the temporary elevation of privileges becoming a real thing within an organization so that so that you don't have that latent risk there of somebody who who has a high set of privileges um, becoming a target to, to be attacked or to be spearfished or whatever the case may be so, so there are, you know, I think there's there's a lot of change uh, uh, in the industry that we need to come through, and and some of this I don't think we're going to be able to to cope with it prescriptively. We are going to have to actually look at how do we do cyber education and and what does that look like. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're you're totally totally right, and it's not something that we're going to uh, going to solve of overnight. But you know, back to your you know, some of your earlier points in terms of the the role of uh, the role of government. You know, I, you know, I definitely see that there's uh, you know there, there, there's aspects there, and you know we have the um, 
the investment that has been made here in New Zealand from a cyber security uh, investment at a government level, um, it seems to be dramatically lower than what we've seen in in Australia. Um, but it, at least there, you know, there is that investment uh, uh, taking place, and um, you know, I, I guess what what we we need to encourage, I suppose, is um, you know not just increased investment, but it's it's encouraging uh, you know government to to focus on the, on the areas of challenge, and as you've raised, the the education piece is a really big um, part of that, and when we have you know, countries with so many. Um, you know, smaller and medium organisations—they're not necessarily going to be so well, you know, resourced up to uh, to be able to take care of those things. So, that and, and that's why I think it's got to be a, a you know, there's 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 a, a a happy medium somewhere between the bottom up and the top down. Mm. Um, mm. I think that you know, if governments get into compulsion too much, um, that's probably not going to work. But at the same time, you know, if you are going to to be bold, like the New Zealand government has been to, in, in some regards, and said, you know, we are going to focus on creating a digital economy, then then there is actually a bunch of stuff that comes with that, that you have to enable that digital economy. And, and that's not just about having some really fast, smart links to, to an island nation. It's about you know everybody in the, in in that island nation understanding how they're going to how they're going to play a role in that and and i think that you know potentially the australian government have done have done a better job at that but but you know i would also say they've got a lot more at stake they've got a, a much bigger economy politically they they they're much more uh, bolshy if that's the right sort of word to use uh, and, and so you know they do attract the attention of state actors and, and those sorts of things more so than maybe we do yeah yeah um, Sean I'm just lo- looking uh, looking at the time we've you know we've had some great di- discussion here um, I think we're going to have to probably organize a, another uh, another podcast so um, we'll we'll pencil something in in a couple of weeks time to uh, sure. to delve into these uh, you know some of these matters um, a little a little bit further um, and you know there will be some different perspectives that we can uh, that we can delve delve into for uh, uh, for that one, but yeah, Sean, maybe uh, maybe you could sort of you know wrap up this current discussion from your perspective, um, and then we, yeah we can um, we can chat about what we'll uh, what we'll do for the next session. Yeah, okay, cool, no worries. Um, look, I think for me, there's a couple of key themes: um, cyber risk, and we'll call it cyber security. Cyber, drop the cyber moniker. I think at the end of the day, it's just risk. And I think everyone needs to sort of really understand that everyone has a role to play. And that's everyone from the board of the directors down to, you know, it could be someone sitting at the reception desk. Uh, I think everyone needs to sort of think about it. And it's incumbent on all of us to really sort of, you know, do our bit. And, you know, everyone needs to think that there is an existential threat out there. It's inevitable that being connected in, in the way that we actually are, that someone will be knocking on our front door and wanting to really come in. Um, they have got nothing to lose and they only need to be right once. We need to be right 100% of the time. So the challenge is it's going to be someone will actually get into your organization at some point. How do we limit that sort of blast radius of if someone does come in, what could we do? How do we limit material impacts to our organization? You know, the thing that I always live by is, is a mantra of do different. And I think that's something that I always sort of recommend every organization should do. Don't rest on your laurels and think this is the way that we've always done it. We're going to keep on doing that. Um, you know, cybersecurity is a dynamic environment. That's why I've actually been doing this for 21 years. I love it. 
because it constantly changes. But for that notion, we have to do something different. You know, what works, what was the playbook for, you know, the last five years definitely would not be the playbook that's going to get us ahead in the next five. So take take that as, you know, go forward and actually start to have those questions around, you know, what are we doing right now as an organization to protect ourselves and align to, let's just call it the business imperatives that a business actually has. Take stock of your assets, you know, take stock of the inventory of what you've got. You know, some of the non-sexy things that people tend to do, they don't really have an understanding of their own uh, environment. They don't know what assets are connected there. Guess what? The attacker that actually comes in, they're going to be mapping out your entire network. They're going to be doing that thing straight away because they want to try and work out how do they fan out and spread out inside the organization. So do some of those fundamentals because those that hygiene is absolutely paramount because that's going to help you to hopefully try and uh, prevent a material impact happening to your own organization. Yeah, that, that's great. And um, you know, one of the notes that we we had here was around uh, was around technical debt, and um, you know, we over the years we we build up all these uh, you know technological uh, systems that eventually become out of date and um, you know a, a, a huge a huge risk. So that's uh, that's part of that picture, isn't it? Definitely. Um, Carl, anything that uh, that you wanted to add as we uh, we come to the end? Yeah, look, I'll 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 finish on uh, some work that we've been doing um, around some white papers um, in, in this space, and and I think that uh, it's very clear that uh, from board level downward, even even to workers on the front line, we really need to understand what our accountabilities are. Um, and we can't outsource those accountabilities. They sit with the businesses the, where, where, where those risks lie. And, and then when you look at the risks and the accountabilities, you've got some decisions to make about how do you balance that risk versus the accountability that you've got. Do you, do you mitigate it? Do you transfer it? Do you, do you minimize it? You know, what, what, what are you actually going to, how are you actually going to treat that risk? And that's a well-trodden path on, on, on risk management and, and to, to, to Sean's point, you know, it, we should just treat cyber as being cyber security as being another risk in our business. And then I think that the, the last point that I'd make, and, and, and for me, emergingly, the most important one is the actual culture within an organisation towards um, cyber security in particular, but but security in general. You know, and, and I think that we have a long way to go uh, in terms of our own individual staff members, our own individual habits. Many of us only have to think about the, the the list of passwords that we've got written in front of the notebook that sits by our phone to kind of hang our heads in shame <laughs> and <laughs> go there for the grace of God go on. So I think there is a real cultural thing that we need to, to have a look at. And, 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 and if we can get the right balance between understanding our accountability, what the risk balance and the mitigation is, and then and then focus on, on how we change the culture around cybersecurity, I think we'd probably be in a much better place. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, absolutely fantastic uh, to have insights from uh, from both of you. Uh, thank you, Sean. Thank you, Carl. Um, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to being able to de- you know delve in a little bit more and 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 look at some other uh, perspectives. But uh, you know, I think it, you know everything we've covered uh, today is um, is helpful. And you know some of these things, of course, we you know. All of us probably know already to one degree or another, but uh, even for the things that we do know, we we actually need to have them reiterated um, because 
as a country, I think that there's a lot of change that we need to make to really get to that uh, that point. And I don't know if you ever get there, um, but but I feel as though we've got you know far too much uh, risk on you know on our organisations and and even on individuals. You know, there, there's a, r- a real crossover. It was you know mentioned mentioned earlier. You know, if somebody maybe isn't isn't considering uh, you know risks from a personal perspective, well, you know if if they operate in a in a manner they don't think about their own privacy and their own their own data um, and and security, then that's going to carry through into the workplace. And I think it you know it flows backwards and forwards. Uh, so you know the, the, there's probably a you know a role here for for education that that covers both our you know everyday sort of you know personal matters as well as uh, you know what goes in uh, organisationally. Um, but it's been fantastic. So we will uh, we will wrap it up there. Um, but yeah, huge uh, huge thank you to both of you for uh, for your contribution today. Um, I do want to thank our current sponsors of the New Zealand Tech Podcast, our our partners. Uh, who really stand behind making you know making the show possible, and uh, and stand behind the broader technology and innovation ecosystems uh, here in New Zealand. So uh, yeah, thank you to Umbrella Connect, Gorilla Technology, Vodafone, HP, Datacom and Palo Alto Networks, Spark and Vocus. So um, yeah, much appreciated, and yeah, some great contributions today, and we'll look forward to uh, coming back in a couple of weeks and uh, uh, del- delving. Further further into the rabbit hole that is uh, is cyber uh, and cyber security. And yeah, thanks everyone for, uh, for joining us. All right, thanks. We'll catch you next time. See ya. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.